Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When I got the news, I was just just stunned, shocked, couldn't process it, as prepared as I thought I was to receive it. Because mm. that's the day, essentially, you know, you find out that your wife didn't have to die, that there was, you know, a whole different story behind it. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. This week on the podcast, we were incredibly fortunate to meet with Stephen Teep. Stephen's wife, Irene, passed away from cervical cancer in 2017. And um, we found out all about that journey um, Mm. and what it went through to lose her. And then also him coming to terms with the fact that it could have been prevented probably if... um, the scandal that broke didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, this is sort of an episode on two parts. One is how he's gone from being somebody who was just became a widower at a very, very young age to being an advocate for Mm. change and support for everybody that's affected by the scandal. So there's sort of, and as he said himself, he's gone from being somebody who was Nobody, nobody knew his name. He was just Irene's husband or whatever. But he's gone to being very vocal mm. in this um, journey for change and also to make sure that his wife didn't die in vain. Yeah. But it, from my point of view, I suppose as well, what was most interesting was the fact that he, like he's two very young kids and his journey as a widower, as a dad of two young kids mm. and how that pans out every day when you mightn't be having a good day but you have to get up in the morning yeah. and you still have to do the lunch boxes and go to school and you know he has to go to the supermarket and one of them might be having a bad day and throw a massive wobbler in the middle of the supermarket yeah. which is what happens most kids anyway <laughs> but when kids are dealing with grief on top of everything else and they're trying to process it and they find it very hard you know it happened to me the other day you can be in the middle of the street, loads of people swanning around the place when there's a rugby match on and one of them absolutely loses it and everybody just stands there looking at you and you know what's going on with them mm-hmm. and that's all really you need to know. You just block everyone out. But it was interesting speaking to Stephen about, you know, how he deals mm. with those situations because I suppose there's a 
personal interest from my perspective. Of course. And I think when he was talking about his identity changing so much, like just what you're talking yeah. about, that he was a that he was a husband and a father yeah. and then he was a widower mm. and then he was the face of a of a campaign and for change. And so that's a lot to go through in a really short period yeah. of time. I think also, as he told us a lot about the journey that Irene went through um, from when she was diagnosed and those things are really, really hard to talk about. The hospital visits and mm. the, you know, how what she went through when she had to give up breastfeeding, which is such a big thing for a mother. Mm. And she really held on to it and how much she wanted to do it, uh, which I thought was so powerful to hear. I hear him talk about that because I can see from a mom's point of view that you, you don't want someone to take anything away from you. That yeah, bond, you and know? especially when it isn't your fault. Well, she didn't know that yeah. at the time. She, you know, none of the scandal had really yeah. happened. Um, yeah, no, it is. It's it's also, I think, talking about the term widower. I know when I got married, I found using the term wife. Yeah. I, would use, I never used yeah. to call Martin my husband or, you know, the term wife. I was that really weird, that, yeah. you know. Um, but then when you're sort of reasonably young and you become a widow, that's like the shocking, the, yeah. you know, you're filling in the widow's pension form and you're going, I'm 44, I shouldn't be doing this. Do you know what I mean? These it's not. Identity things. Yeah. And they're hard to, they are it's hard like to It's like a label. Yeah, And it it's is. even worse than what's happened is this is your new label now. Yeah. You're not really a wife anymore. Yeah. You're a widow or a widower or you're not a husband. And it's, it is. It's and that happens people. overnight. You mm. were a wife. And then the next day you're yeah. not. And you're, yeah. you know, so that's... Well, something. I sort of think you always are. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course. You know. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately I remember people saying to me, you know, do you feel like you're still a daughter? Well, of course you're still yeah. a daughter, but you don't have that active relationship mm. in your life. Mm. Um, I think we both learned a lot from talking to Stephen. Mm. Uh, he speaks really eloquently. And, and you know, he's so much humor yeah. as well with it. And I think that's bought him this far because yeah. he's sort of, you know, you sort of still have a laugh about yeah. ridiculous things but yet you know it doesn't take away from anything it's just, and it, yeah, yeah we both felt that, el- that yeah. kind of levity in the room mm. he's also incredibly strong yeah <laughs> seriously strong and I think everybody will hear that uh, when you listen to our chat In the past year, this week's guest became a household name across Ireland as the cervical cancer scandal rocked the nation in 2018. Stephen Teep and his two sons, Oscar and Noah, suffered the loss of Irene Stephen's wife to the illness in 2017. Stephen, like your story, it's a very familiar one, sadly, um, for many of our listeners I think for most people in Ireland they're, you know that watch the news or read a newspaper there's nobody that doesn't know what's been happening when did you first realise that Irene was unwell? It was back in it was September um, 2015 when Irene got first diagnosed okay. but it actually began before that our youngest boy Noah was born in April that year on the 21st mm-hmm. of April and we, Irene would have had a normal pregnancy and all of that. And um, we had a home birth, a planned mm. home birth at that um, for, for Noah. And, you know, everything went perfectly. But it was about five, six weeks after Noah was born, Irene was um, noticing that she hadn't um, recovered from childbirth. She was still bleeding mm. um, five, six weeks. So went back to the doctor, referred her back to the maternity hospital in Cork. And they just 
you know, look, they weren't concerned mm. by anything, you know, you're just after, you know, delivering a child. And they said, look, you, it could take up to eight, ten weeks yeah. for some women to recover, mm. you know. So, we, no, there was no concern there. But at 12 weeks, Irene was still bleeding. It hadn't started to die off or anything yeah. like that. So, again, Irene went back again. And, you know, all our thoughts were, look, this obviously has to be childbirth related, yeah. you know. Like, there was nothing at all to say it could have been anything else. Because otherwise she was feeling... Okay, as okay as you feel after having a newborn. Yeah. Well, this you know. is it. You know, you have a newborn child mm. in the house, and you also have a two-year-old in the house. So we're all absolutely mm. shattered yeah. anyway. anyway. So yeah. you can't really judge Age like it for it, yeah. exactly, and like for the likes of Irene. Then you know, after going through nine months of pregnancy, you know what was normal for her at that point yeah. as well. So you know, nothing was to say like she. Like when you think about the symptoms of cervical cancer, you know, like backache, pains in your legs. What they woman doesn't have that yeah. at the late stages of pregnancy as well, yeah. you know? So, you know, like nothing was concerning. And then, of course, you know, things like like the Irene had participated in the, the screening programme with the smear tests and all of that and nothing, no indications for anybody to look mm. at, you know? So um, the bleeding anyway continued beyond the 12 weeks. And at that point, actually, a consultant gave her a physical examination and said, you know, just to see if she mm. could see anything and had a look at her cervix, didn't notice anything. And actually wanted to prescribe Irene um, the contraceptive pill because mm. they thought it might be something hormone related. Mm. But Irene was uh, breastfeeding Noah mm. and knew that that would um, affect her, her, her mm. supply to Noah. So refused to take that and said, no, look, there has to be another way. So it continued again for another few weeks. And at 18 weeks, Irene went back to the same consultant uh, because she was still bleeding 18 weeks and hadn't died down at all. And what they had planned to do was bring Irene in for um, a DNC because they thought there might be some um, just a birth yeah, left off yeah. behind, you know, and maybe that was creating an infection or something. And it, when they were performing that, the consultant who had who had viewed Irene at 12 weeks noticed a change in her cervix and it was only then that they actually took the sample away and uh, got it tested and that's when we got the diagnosis that um, Irene had stage B mm-hmm. cervical cancer at that point. Wow. How did you guys as a family how did you process that information? We actually it was I remember the Irene went in for that on a Thursday and there was nothing said and we actually had a, a trip booked to Copenhagen the following Tuesday for the um, four of us and we were, we were going mm. to be he- heading away and that was our trip planned and on Monday I was up the country at a meeting and I got, just got this phone call off Irene on the Monday and she was absolutely hysterical down the phone and she says the doctor consultant called and she wants me to come in tomorrow and I was like yeah okay but she, mm. we're going away tomorrow mm. and, and Irene said I said that to her and the consultant just said look Irene you're smart I wouldn't be calling you in if it wasn't important mm. and Irene just knew straight away it was cervical cancer it could not be anything mm. else and um, when we got that news that day yeah it completely floored us um, you know we just it took a while to process mm. but straight away our we're so busy. We had mm. an 18 month old. I mean, that's and we the had thing, you have to go straight uh, back. And into you're, that. you're straight back mm. to parents. And at the same mm-hmm. time, you're still trying to process that. Mm. And Irene wasn't sick at that point. She was just bleeding mm. heavily mm. a lot. Mm. But like as far as an illness, there was no symptoms or anything like yeah. that. And the, so it was really, we, when we were back home, we're trying to process this news, but it was kind of is this really happening? Mm. You know, like, is this is this really mm. what we've just been told? It was really hard to process. And, you know, like, it was about two, three weeks after that then that 
um, Irene's treatment begun and that's when the rest was the real reality mm. of it all hit home to us and probably for the, the two weeks leading up to that we had to I suppose organise the house essentially mm. um, childcare and yeah and because like Irene would have breastfed Oscar our oldest guy until he was about two years of age mm. um, you know so we were and Noah hadn't started on um, solids at that point either because we weren't going to start that until mm. six months old and we were doing this thing called um um, baby led feeding where mm. you just kind of yeah let them do their own thing yeah. do, which is absolutely awesome but it was <laughs> um, but we were doing that so we we weren't prepared for this because we weren't due to start that anyway so we were we had to kind of figure out what to do with Noah with regard to feeding mm. as well and we ended up then um, you know the question was right do we go down the formula route which we knew absolutely nothing about mm. or do we look for donations for milk donations and we ended up going down the road of the donations and Irene was um, involved a lot with Lesh and she'd built mm. up a massive support group so we ended up getting um, donations for like the, the, the 15 16 weeks that mm. Irene couldn't feed that Noah that must be sort of difficult for her as well because you know, when you feed your own kids, it's a very personal yeah. thing. So one way to hand that over to somebody else, that so must have been quite a difficult thing for her to yeah, do. Yeah, you know, like... It must have been the first stage. It was where her thoughts went first. And you can yeah. just, I remember telling my mum about it and she was like, oh, poor Irene's going to be heartbroken. She can't feed mm. Noah now again. Or now for the first time. Yeah, the the bond between a mother and their child when they're feeding, like, mm. you, it's... it's, it's, it's you cannot notice it. It's yeah. an incredible thing to witness. And yeah, there was a bit of that being taken away. And like Irene was gutted and like, I'll never forget the first night um, because what happened was Irene was going through um, radiotherapy for five days a week and she had to do that over eight weeks. But on the Tuesday, she would have chemotherapy. And as soon as the chemotherapy started, she had to stop feeding Noah because she would have passed that through yeah, to yeah. him. So that's when the... So the Tuesday, so the Monday, no, sorry, the Tuesday night after, um, sorry, no, would have, sorry, it would have been the Monday night. Mm. We would have started, um, I would have started feeding. No, and I remember mm. it's it, we, the first time we did it was in the middle of the night because Irene obviously wanted to feed for as long mm. as possible, mm. you know, she wanted, literally wanted to bring it up to the last minute. So the last time we did it was um, on the Monday night and, you know, like, like you know, in the middle of the night, your child wakes up roaring, hungry, right? And <laughs> and this is when I had to go down then and, and you know, the, the milk was frozen so I had to thaw it out. Oh. And that takes about 10, 15 minutes and all at that time the child's roaring. And Irene wanted to stay away from him because he'd smell her and he'd yeah, know and that would just drive him mad mm. and like I'll never forget like going back up there and I was trying to do as much as I could that Irene would but obviously I physically couldn't yeah. Do, yeah. Do, do the main part but you know like I had my top off there was a lot of skin to skin mm. trying to give him those comforts mm. but at the end of the day I, obviously it wasn't his mom and you know I'm trying to you know, he's absolutely roaring, crying he wouldn't take the bottle for the first few minutes and Irene was in the bed lying next to us and she was holding in the crying as well it was she was heart was absolutely breaking she was at that point where she was just shaking in the bed mm. just trying to hold in the tears and it was just me just stuck in the middle mm. of all this you know all this pain that just been brought on to us yeah. by this cancer and everybody didn't want to do anything that we were about to do but you know look Noah eventually took the bottle and he eventually got used to being fed through the bottle for for those few weeks afterwards and, you know, Irene had to wait 21 days after her final chemo session in order to feed again. And what Irene did, the most incredible thing, and this is actually the one thing 
prior to this whole scandal ever breaking that I thought I would be in a podcast or being interviewed about is what she did during those few weeks. Mm -hmm. But throughout the whole treatment, Irene expressed milk in the middle of the radiotherapy, in the middle of the chemotherapy, in the middle of all the agony that the steroids and all of the other medication Mm -hmm. bring in. Irene expressed milk five times a day and dumped it yeah. just so to maintain her milk supply. Yeah, just so she, because she set herself a goal at the beginning of that. Cancer is not going to mm. take over my life. I'm going to control yeah. this and I'm going to feed Noah at the end yeah. of it. And, and very expressing it is horrible. Oh. Horrible. <laughs> like as, someone, as a mother sure. who's done it in, in work. Yeah. Yeah. And, I really had with, yeah that, and to do that under those circumstances yeah. seems unimportant. Yeah. How beautiful that it was so important to her and that she was able to still see what was important to her amidst the the chaos it was the the goal and like even going in the chemotherapy day was a full day so she would have had to bring all of the equipment in with her and she the nurses obviously were fantastic and very supportive but she was hooked up to the the IV drip getting the chemotherapy drug and at the same time she's expressing you know it was you know she was absolutely incredible but you know at the end of it all then you know this fantastic photo of when she picked Noah up there just just before Christmas and like it was the feed straight after the one like there no was time every, like no time had passed. Mm. It literally just continued. And yeah, it was just an incredible achievement. And, that and after that, then, how did things progress? How, how yeah, did, so how was she? She was you fine, know? you know, like she had lost obviously an awful lot of weight. She was a little bit tired and that from from the treatment, but very positive. And we all were because mm. like she I think the thing is when she went through that treatment, she didn't look sick at all. Like there was mm. no hair loss or anything else apart from the tiredness, which we'd only see in the house. But in, like mm. she said, she didn't she's no one treats her like a sick person because mm. she doesn't look sick. So we would have had our first appointment, follow up appointment around um, February time. And this is the, the one where they scan you and they let you know how everything went with mm. regard to treatment and as the consultant said at the beginning of it all look we're treating for cure here mm. like there was no doubt in his mind this is what we're doing and you know I suppose that's, that's what you want to hear you know mm. that's what you mm-hmm. want your consultant when they say it with such confidence you know you're, you're handing your lives over to them that's exactly the news you want to hear so when we we were so so nervous getting that scan done on the February and coming back in and waiting to be called to let us know the results mm. but you know the, 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 the consultant could see how nervous Irene was like we were practically holding each other up mm. walking down this corridor and she just turned around and just said look I'm very happy with your results and straight away we just relaxed mm. and it was um, yeah they said they could just see scar tissue so everything was fine fine with it so you know that kind of lifted the mood mm. a bit and we, we positivity uh, positive keep going and absolutely and after everything that Irene went through um, and you know like setting that goal achieving that goal so now we were dealing with other issues in our life now because we obviously wanted to have we have two children and we always wanted to have four so now because of the treatment that Irene had it would have put her into early menopause and mm. she was now infertile so we now had to deal with that and Irene was a little mm. bit upset with that um, there was the physical sexuality side of it as well which obviously was more upsetting for Irene um, just because you know her body had just been I suppose come out after this all different mm. you know and these were kind of the biggest problems in her life at that point you know and then um, we went to Portugal and went on holidays kind of celebrate and came back and Irene started to get this very faint pain in her back we thought nothing of because she was wearing a sling carrying Noah for all of the holiday mm. and Irene had a dodgy back anyway mm. do you know you look at her back funny and nearly yeah, yeah. given out you know <laughs> and uh yeah, so we just thought it was, it was something like that. But throughout the summer, that pain started to get worse, where she would nearly start whimpering in pain. And around August time, I noticed the weight was falling off her. And Irene was always a slim person anyway, mm. but looked like her legs just started to look really, really skinny. 
and we had a follow-up appointment in September and they brought Irene back in um, for that, that appointment and she didn't mention anything about the pain in her back I did because I knew Irene was just too stubborn and she's mm. just you know she's just a strong <laughs> person and it's a terrible thing you know to try and admit to something like that but look I just mentioned it and as soon as I said it the consultant was like look Irene I've been dealing with you now for the last year I know what a strong person you are if you whimper in pain you have to be in a lot of pain so I'm just going to scan you from head to toe just mm. to give myself reassurance you know and that's when they discovered a massive cyst on Irene's um, liver and tumours in her lung and they actually rushed her back the afternoon of her scan because they needed to drain the cyst and they took out a couple of litres of fluid oh. out of her liver it had gotten mm. um, it was that big and just after a couple of more tests that's when they discovered that the HPV um, virus that she would have had with the cervical cancer had spread I presumably spread before the treatment ever began and that's where it ended up in her liver and her lung um, it was at this stage then you know none of the consultants were discussing treating for cure um, none of them were actually even discussing that Irene was terminal they were just saying we've got three options here now we're going to go with this chemotherapy drug first and then if we need to we've got a backup plan and a mm. backup plan for mm. that but this time round it was like you know the most severe um, the strongest drug they have for because this was now a huge fight and you know less than a month Irene's hair was after falling out she was bedridden she was mm. sick a lot and I think this was the start of that downhill spiral um, at that point then and that was around um, that's that would have began around October November mm. so again it was she had been feeding Noah again right up to that point and we were just waiting to be called um, into the hospital so Irene could start treatment and there was some delay I don't know if they have enough beds or something like that and we got a call at like 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock on a Tuesday to say can you come in at 7 o'clock that night mm -hmm. straight away Irene Noah was yeah. in the forefront of her mind she yeah. was like that's it I'll never ever ever breastfeed again mm. for the rest of my life and that's where her thoughts went again mm. because she knew she'll never have a newborn baby mm. she knew she'll never get out of this um, mm. drug again by the mm. time um, Noah be old enough and this was again where Irene's initial thoughts went to just the mothering instinct mm. kicked in and her baby again you know and that was it and that's where it, this, this, this I suppose this next stage of Irene's story and her fight with cancer you know takes us to but unfortunately it um it was just months of and months of just Irene fighting in and out of hospital, infection after infection. Like within three, four months of starting that treatment, she was so weak that she she couldn't really put the kids to bed anymore and that sort of thing. And you know, kind of this is where I kind of started, I suppose, being more hands on again. I would have always been hands on as a parent anyway. But do you know, you're kind of you know you're, you're thrown into it. Yeah. No you're thrown into option. it, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Stephen, can I ask you about... See, love really changes when you're in these moments. This yeah. is where the, the real love kicks mm. in in oh, a, yeah. in a yeah. way that is probably... Um, difficult for most people who've never been there to imagine mm-hmm. um, and that priorities and focus starts to change completely what was the relationship between the two of you like through all of this I can imagine your love for her is so intensified as you're looking at somebody you care about so much being yeah. that sick but also hard to communicate because there's so much going on yeah I suppose like for Irene and myself if the communication between the two of us was always fine mm-hmm. so we were always um, you know we'd always be able to communicate perfectly mm-hmm. with her I think the bond certainly increased between mm-hmm. us because it wasn't Irene on her own fighting nor was it me it was the two of us together the whole time every step of the way you know none of us ever gave out about um, you know how tired we were all the work we have to do we just got on and mm. did it because we knew what we had to achieve here and that mm. was for Irene to, to, to be cancer I think the first time we experienced this I suppose this, this, this bond between the two of us where it's just the two of us fighting was, was actually between when both of the boys were born and we, we had our first miscarriage and coming home from the hospital that day and it's just the two of us at home and you know there's no one else around mm. and it's just the two of you in that pain and you know you've got the world outside and like mm. will we let people know won't we are talking mm. to yourselves and I mean, that was the first time where we felt that closeness so mm. of just having this big problem out of our control to deal with but obviously the cancer was so much mm. more you know um, but the type of people we were do you know we were like even with our parenting with the kids like we were very transparent we didn't hide things you know um, like when uh, when Irene's hair for example um, started to fall out one day she decided look will I just shave it all off mm. and you know we we made a big you know thing out of it in the mm. kitchen between our family as in mm. Irene me we gave Oscar mm. the camera he just went snap ha- happy in recording videos do you know I just constantly mm. just took the piss out of Irene when yeah. I'm shaving it like you know I'm waiting 15 years but to do this to your hair <laughs> you know and do it to normalise yeah. the is situation because that's what you think is going to make it easier but you have to because your other option is to talk about the tragedy that is Mm. the cancer and the fact that you're losing your hair you know Mm. and you could just get so locked down in that darkness that you kind of need to be able to do things like that and I think that's where we were able to bounce off each other to get to, to, to keep going because you're in this element of 
fight constantly and you know what the consequences are if you lose this fight so you need to be mm. constantly positive so like throughout Irene's treatment we never discussed her dying it was always about fighting and winning because you, there's no point in taking it to that dark mm. place mm. when you need to be in this constant mode of fight to keep going forward you know mm. um, but the bond between the two of us yeah you know like it, was, it, it wasn't the two of us but it was the four of us mm. it was the family and this is why for me family has always been the main part you know and it there's so many pillars to a family and mm. even when this scandal broke you know I did it obviously to um, give Irene a name and a voice in this but at the beginning of the scandal if you remember it was all about how this is women being neglected in healthcare and all of these things which primarily I can't argue it, it certainly was with this scandal but for me I was at home with two boys there's no woman in my house and we've paid the ultimate price for me mm. this mm. scandal was all about attacking the family and it was the family yeah. ours that was ripped apart in this instance you know when did this all come to light for you that this scandal had happened and that basically you'd lost your wife because of it it was nine months after Irene passed away so Irene Irene passed away in July 2017 and Vicky didn't win her case and stand up in, in front of the courthouse until the 25th of April um, mm. so is that nine months mm. <laughs> Frantically, <laughs> frantically, everybody. Let's Not just let's, let's just let's just say Somewhere it is. Around it's around the nine one mark, all right. And um, so, like at that point in April last year in two thousand and eighteen, anytime I, uh, cancer would have been the newspaper or, or on the radio, I would just turn it off, walk away. Mm. You know, as far as I was concerned, yeah, you've done it, hard done it, yeah. yeah, yeah, lost, lost badly. Mm. Don't want to know any yeah. more about it. So, like uh, Vicky came along on a Wednesday and I just turned it off didn't care and she was on the Ray Darcy show that Saturday night and I didn't watch that either and it wasn't until Sunday that um, it really snowballed after that interview that she had on the, with Ray Darcy mm. and it was just all of these news alerts on my phone were just coming up about it as, mm. as, as news was being drip fed throughout the day and I reached a point that day in the afternoon that I just said, God, what is this about? I'll read mm. about it. And this is where I read for the first time about Vicky Phelan. She misread smears. She just won this big case, refused to sign a confidentiality agreement because she had seen that there was other women involved in this that no one was planning on telling. And then the news broke that there was 15 other women who weren't disclosed to who had passed away. And it wasn't until that point in the Sunday afternoon that when that news broke that I started then focusing on this because, mm. right, Irene had cervical cancer. She had participated in the screening programme and she was dead. And for me, it was like, right, is Irene one of these mm. women or not? Mm. And then, you know, I'm glued to the news at this point. The following day, Monday, I'm listening to the news all day and news breaks that um, the HSC will be ma uh, making contact with the next of kin of all of the families of the women who passed away. And it wasn't until the following day, Tuesday afternoon, I was in an, um, my office in Tala um, in a meeting for the whole day and I got this phone call from the HSC and that was when I was first informed that Irene was a part of um, the women that had been audited a part of the screening programme. What was the emotional cross? I mean, it's hard to imagine how anyone would feel when they're, I have to imagine anger. I don't know if it was the first, the first place you went. But Shock. I was, I was just totally shocked. Um, it was kind of like, you know, when you kind of brought back to that time when Irene passed away as well, when you knew she was going to die and you try and mentally prepare yourself for it. And then when Irene passed away, you're just floored. Mm. For this, it was, you're right, is Irene part of the scandal or not? And... I was trying to prepare to me, look, 
she's ticking all the boxes here. Irene's life is ticking all the boxes to be a part of this. And when I got um, the news, I was just just stunned, shocked, couldn't process it, as prepared as I thought I was to receive it. Mm. And, you know, like, that's the day, you know, essentially, you know, you find out that your wife didn't have to die, that there was, you know, a whole different story behind it. And it was two days later that I met the consultant. And that's when you're given the news about that Irene participated in a screening programme, had two smears, both of them came back clear, both of them said, um, call back for your routine recall in three to five years. And then you're fine. Well, actually, they were audited. And it turns out back in 2010, Irene had precancerous cells. In 2013, you could see it advanced even further again. And, you know, you're just absolutely devastated, but completely thrown back at the beginning Mm. of the process. When does the anger hit when something like that happens? Because there's so much anger when somebody passes away, especially a younger person Mm. from cancer that when there's young kids involved anyway. So with something like this, where you know there's somebody to blame, did you get angry straight away? Yeah, I think I got angry straight away. Um, But I like to really think, I I live a lot in my head and I try and and just focus myself. What I've learned about this whole thing, I suppose since Irene passed away, is I I have this feeling of being on my own for a lot of it. I don't know any 36-year-old widowers raising a four and a two-year-old while dealing with your own grief, trying to deal with their grief. Like, how do you deal with a four-year-old's grief Mm. and a two-year-old still in nappies? No one, I don't know, Mm. anyone who knows. So I've been trying to figure all of this out on my own. So again, when this scandal breaks, how many people in my situation that I just explained are now part of a scandal? No one. So here I am back in my head fuming like I was mm. absolutely raging but for me this is what motivated me to do something because mm. I could not stay at home with all of this rage and anger and do nothing with mm. it mm. it wouldn't be healthy for me it wouldn't be healthy for, for the two boys yeah. you know and this is this is my way this is my outlet mm. for it mm. and straight away I you know I I had an agenda in my head of what I wanted to do. I mapped everything out I needed to achieve here. Do you know, first thing first was I needed to raise my profile to a level from absolutely nowhere just so I can start banging down the doors of the people mm-hmm. that I wanted to talk to, the Minister of Health, Department of Health, do you know, Dr. Gabriel Scally when he mm-hmm. came along. And this is this the sort of, I suppose, where my mind went to. But Again, like it did when Irene passed away, what really focused me again was the two boys, you know, you know, you have to get up every day for them. You have to focus mm-hmm. for them. And, you know, I've said it many times, you know, for me, my mind went about 10 years down the road when I actually have to sit down in front of them and actually have a conversation about cervical mm-hmm. cancer. It isn't just the bug that mom that beat mom now mm. and the doctors tried everything mm. they could. It's now discussing cervical cancer. Um, Irene being brought back into this scandal mm. um, and what was the scandal about. But most importantly for me is what did I do about it when exactly. when um, I found out about this? Mm-hmm. And there's no way, no way at all that I could just turn around to the guys and said absolutely nothing. <laughs> and this is when mm. I basically, like, with my anger and that, just turned it into mm. this rage and the agenda has always been for me to get the answers of what happened to Irene, to try and um, get, find out exactly what went on with this whole scandal, but most importantly fix it and let that be Irene's legacy that, you know, her this her life created some sort of 
um, something positive, something that yeah. was so negative. Yeah. If I get to create that legacy for Irene, I get to do it for Emma Fick Mahuna, the other women mm. who died, but also as well the other women that are alive today living with all of these complications. This is what everybody wants. They want all of these wrongs turned into right and, you know, mm. everything fixed, but also as well if there's people to be made accountable that they are held accountable, mm. I suppose, at the same time as well, you know. A lot of kids have been left behind in this scandal. I mean, yeah. I think I'm at five, five, five kids. Right. You have two, there's other kids. How important do you think it will be for them down the line? You were saying about 10 years time, you're going to have to say to them, you know, this happened. This is what I did. You know, there will be anger there. And amongst between one or two of the kids, it's going to come up somewhere, you know. How, how do you think you're going to handle that then down the line? This is why I'm saying, you know, like creating a legacy, um, you know, they need to be a, like Irene and Emma and everyone needs to be a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can't just be the victims. And this is the key thing for me that Irene isn't just the victim. Yeah, essentially she is. She was a part of Miss Red Slides that, mm. that, you know, they're read correctly, she'd still be alive. But if I just think of Irene as the victim, that's no way for the boys to be picture, picturing mm. their mother. It yeah. needs to be something better than that. And like, um, it's such a negative thing to view someone as a victim. So how do you turn that as a positive? And it's about the changes that are created that we can go, look, this is what all the bad stuff that happened to your mum. It's not going to happen again because of your mum, yeah. you know, and this is it's, it's just turning it around like that. And hopefully, it, in my head, I hope, and again, you know, I'm trying to do something that hasn't been done before. Mm. You know, I'm trying to figure all of this out in yeah. my head. But if I can talk about what happened to Irene and let the ending of the last chapter of that book be something positive, positive that no more families mm. have to go Don't through what we went yeah. through, then mm. surely that is something that the boys could live with. Can mm. I ask you about, um, you know, with healthcare, you often hear about be your own advocate and, and, um, I think in Ireland that's really difficult because I think even at the GP stage of something, there's kind of, you're fine. It's not that big a deal. Mm. You're all right. And and to push, I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I feel like I have a back pain and I'm not really sure to push. It feels uncomfortable, I think, in general, yeah. um, in Ireland to kind of, uh, there's almost a uh, fear of hypochondria yeah. or something or being yeah. too, cons- you know, worried about yourself mm. or whatever. Um, but being your own advocate it's a, that's a tough thing as well because you might be the person that's not feeling well or you might you might not know the medical system enough to push or enough to ask or in this case double check yeah I mean yeah. what would you say about that because people aren't going to question results but now in the Ireland we live they in are. now yeah. maybe they maybe yeah. they should I don't I don't know what well I absolutely agree they should but I guess we've just been built in a society where we just put so much trust into you know medical professions and yes you do have to trust them but it does need to be I think treated more like a partnership where it needs to work, be work both ways where both people listen and you know it's when these when you see failures like this it kind of raises the question you know like should I push harder to get answers if I'm not satisfied with that do I mm. shout a little louder you know and try and really get to the answers of it and I think you're absolutely right that you know we should do that and no one will advocate better for someone than themselves mm. advocating for themselves but you know when when someone is sick, it's difficult, mm. you know, and we've been there and it's, you know, like and Irene was pushing for a couple of like, is there any other options and that sort of thing? But I didn't have a clue what I was asking for then at the same time either. So there needs to be, I think, the relationship between the two. Certainly, look, I'm sure it's, it's, it's good in most cases, you know, and like there was great, like I wouldn't fault the consultants with regard to the treatment that Irene had. Mm. Definitely not. But yeah, like there's definitely an element of push like, 
double checking the, mm-hmm. the slides that time and that sort of thing. But like at the end of the day, you know, the best advocate for someone is themselves, isn't mm-hmm. it? To, to try and get the answers. And I think I think of just the society that we live with in the past has been one where we don't question mm-hmm. our, you know, this, mm-hmm. the people in, in senior positions. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's changing. Do you know, I think there's yeah. a lot of change in Ireland in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think people's rights have been a massive thing as well that people are trying to. But people are starting to feel heard, I think. And yeah. I think that's they're seeing how people like you and Vicky are helping change things. Yeah. So they're going, if they're not happy with something, they're going, I can change it too. So yeah. you're actually doing such a service mm-hmm. to people who would probably five years ago have never, even two years ago, have never stood up for themselves and go, hold on a second, this isn't right. And it's not just in health, it's, it's you know, across the across board. The board. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've set up a patient support group, which you found with uh, Vicky Phelan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, look, I suppose that began um, that Thursday night when, I suppose the idea of that formed that Thursday night when I came home from the consultants um, after being told about Irene's mm. audited results. And um, once um, Irene's sister and her boyfriend left, they were babysitting that night. I was sitting in the house of my own and I was like, been given all that information, but thrown and spat back out the door with absolutely no support whatsoever. And here I am sitting in the house again, another night on my own, boys upstairs fast asleep. Mm. And I now I've just been given this blow that Irene didn't have to die in these, these about mm. these misread smears. And as I was thinking more and more, I was kind of thinking about, God, what would happen if Irene was alive in the middle of treatment, in the worst part of her treatment? Mm. And she got that news. And she had to visit the, go back to hospital the following day or the following week for more treatment. How the hell could she actually walk through the doors of the hospital after the trust has just been ripped from her with Mm. her healthcare system? And where would the support be for her? And there was Mm. none there at all. There wasn't an ounce of support. And it was two days afterwards, Simon Coveney, the Tarnishna, lives in the same town as me. And I managed to get him to my house to talk about Irene's story. But the main thing for me was to start shouting for support for people. Mm. And, you know, like, where was the support for me? And, like... I deliberately brought him into my sitting room where it was myself, Oscar and Noah mm-hmm. on the couch going, who's helping us yeah. here now after he, I told him the story about Irene. So I couldn't have made it more obvious. Mm. And a week later then, the support came in that was announced uh, by the Minister of Health and Simon Coveney texted me saying, look, we're putting support packages in place. But throughout the weeks, what we were noticing was that nobody knew who the other person was that was involved and it was 221 women that we were told but no one knew anyone and the best support you get is by peers in this you know so do you know like when Irene you know when Irene passes away and you've, you've been talking a lot about grief and that you know mm. like the, I find the easiest people to talk to about grief are people who've suffered if you know what I mean yeah. where a random stranger yeah. might will try and give you advice but they don't really know what where but you can't possibly know you yeah. can't I mean, possibly no you can't possibly you know, you know. can't possibly know but it was there it was similar with this scandal mm. um, in that the people that were involved in it really needed to talk to other people involved mm. in it because for the similar kind of reasons of around grief you know so that's when I contacted Vicky one day and I said, look, we're going to have to set up a support group and see if we can do something about, you know, a long term support as well. But getting the people together and putting workshops for bereavement mm. and all the different area, other issues. And yeah, approached the Department of Health. Sorry, no, I, pro- I approached the Marie Keating Foundation first, who got the Irish Cancer Society and the Irish Patient mm. Association on board. And everybody was willing to help and um, contacted, met with the Department of Health. And to be honest, I was pushing against the open door. They were happy to help mm. fund it. And we got mm. funding in place for three years. And it's been set up now. We, I suppose we officially launched it September last year. Mm. 
Carrie, who's there now, is kind of heading it up and looking after it mm. all. And do you know it's going well? We've got a number of workshops. I think we're learning a lot as well. Like, and one of the things is like there's 174 women that are post-cancer, but they're going to beat cervical cancer comes at a very high cost of a lifetime of different mm. different sort of illnesses that come and go. And we're kind of noticing like. For example, lymphedema, there's no very little support in Ireland for that. And this is a sort, but all a lot of the women would require it and mm-hmm. even outside of cervical cancer as well. And it's kind of these areas now that shine a light on that we're trying to work towards as well and helping people, I suppose the women primarily in, in the support group, but looking at the bigger picture as well, how can we roll this out further? So, um, yeah, the support group kicked up, kicked off last year and um, yeah, it's growing. But initially, while it's for the people that are involved in the scandal, one thing that is clear is that there's a much bigger um, purpose for the support group, um, for particularly for women with cervical cancer um, in general, regardless if you're part of a scandal, because mm. of all of the things that I would have even experienced with Irene with regards to um, the infertility, like the physical sexuality, even just a couple of the pains in that that she would have had. There was very little support after the treatment. Mm. And this is something that's been a common thread throughout which is very important that bringing so many people together that's involved in the same or has experienced the same thing. You kind of see this picture. And I think so, I think I think down the line, we're probably going to see something with the support group being more inclusive for everybody mm. with cervical mm. cancer as a whole, because it's just it's just shone a light on, 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 on all of this for mm-hmm. us. You were start off by saying at the beginning when we were talking about all this, how, you know, you to build a profile and you had to sort of, you know, suddenly say, hey, I'm here and <laughs> So much has happened. We're, this all started in 2017. We're only at the start of 2019. Um, and you just, you've done, like, everything has happened. Your whole life has changed. You've lost your your wife, your best friend, your kids have lost their mum. Yeah. You know, you've set this up. You're doing, uh, helping other people. Are you going to come to a point, because you've two small kids, where you're going to go, OK, I've done my bit now. I need to focus on them. Or do you feel you can do both? Well, right now, everything I do, like my primary focus on everything is the two boys. Everything I do is built around them Mm. and um, absolutely everything. So me coming up here today or going to a meeting with the support group, you know, the day starts in the morning with breakfast Mm. with Oscar and Noah. So, you know, um, and then that's the important thing for me. A question I get asked a lot, like, is when will this all stop and when will we get Mm. to an end of it and be honest with you I don't know Mm. Um, I'm yet to go home after something we've achieved something and sit down on the couch put the feet up and go oh that was a good day part of this campaign every day I go home my mind my brain is just tuned in okay Mm. what's next Mm. and I've been in this I think a lot of people who have come across me since this um, whole scandal broke last April think this fight only began last April but this began in September 2015 when Irene was diagnosed with cervical cancer I've been fighting every day since then for two years it was with Irene Mm. by my side and then she passed away it's myself with the two boys but this seems to be just the only frame of mind I have Mm. right now and Mm. when will the end come I honestly don't know but as long as I can still be a father to Oscar and Noah give them 100% Mm. But I want to take them on this with me as well. Mm. They have to be able to see mm. this as well, you know, um, to see exactly what um, such tragic events that happened to their mother had triggered and show them, you know, look, you have to get up and do something, you know. When you're faced with two options, do something or do nothing. Mm. What are you going to pick? For me, I decided to do something. And it was based on them and to show mm. them. So, Can I ask you, I've been noticing myself, we've been working on this podcast, we've been doing so many different things, we've been doing press and... 
I only recently, actually, last night, um, we did something on TV, and afterwards I said to myself, where am I at with my own grief yeah. process? And I, it was a weird thing, because I kind of, like, it became abstract or something, because I was we've been working so much on all these different things, and although we touch on our own experiences, we really only touch on them throughout these. And it's, where do you feel, you, I mean, it's a hard question, and, and I understand that, but where do you feel you're at in terms of that, the the process of grief right now. Do you know I've looked at all of it's 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 something I think about because you mm. hear all of these different stages mm. and I'm yet to identify with one yeah. of them. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I know. I actually thought I was sort of peculiar. Yeah, but like, do, you find, do you find no. do you identify yeah, we're, we're, we don't we're not yeah. into those yeah. stages yeah. here in this case. I think we have learned that the one thing we have learned is grief is unique to yourself. Yeah. I'm delighted and you said that yeah. because anybody else I've spoken to, mm. I'm yet to meet someone who's identified yeah. with yeah. any of it. And like I said at the beginning, you know, when I was 36 becoming this new title widower then you've got two mm. young kids and you know like like where is there out there what guidebooks out there to, mm. to base yourselves mm. on but like where am I currently like I, I, I have accepted it all yeah. definitely um, you know like the pain never goes away mm. as you know and you just you just live with it um, it just becomes more manageable I think like I beginning I remember at the beginning when Irene passed away it was the only way I could describe it was just these massive tsunamis yeah. of emotion when you and least expect it when you least <laughs> expect it and you could be yeah. anywhere like walking down the middle of Patrick Street mm. in Cork and wallop and you can't mm. breathe you can't see you can't you know you, yeah. you just, just all of this and you know over the months the tsunamis die down into waves and the waves come into ripples and I think where I am at the moment is you know I've accepted it all um, with regard to Irene, but I, I kind of sometimes find myself walking down the street and you kind of start thinking about the, the whole scandal and, and everything that's a part of that and you're kind of pinching yourself. Is that really happening? Mm. And did that really cause Irene's death? Mm. And, do you know, is this now who I've become? Do you know, you could be walking down the street and people would be looking at you saying hi and you like, who are they? But mm. they, do you know, they've they because they, well, they, yeah. they yeah, yeah. absolutely, oh, no, absolutely 100% mean well and the support has been magnificent. But it's they recognise me and when they recognise me, it means they know exactly my worst pain in my life. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's accepting all yeah. of that now is where, where, where I'm at, mm. I think. Um, and I think that's all very. I don't know. Is there anywhere else to go besides accepting it? You know. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. I think. I think it's, it's just a levels just, of acceptance. Uh, it is like everyone goes. Oh, it's an everyday thing, but it is an everyday mm. thing, it is. and every day is different. Mm. And I think as well when you've kids and you've young kids and their grief is so extreme in so many different yeah. ways. Like they can go from being the happiest person in the world to mm. smashing up your iPhone <laughs> in the space of like two hours. Yeah. That it's sort of. I sometimes think you don't have time to actually give that time to yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I sometimes wonder, because people always say, oh, be kind to yourself or look after. But I actually wonder if that's sort of a good thing because you don't sort of, you're not constantly thinking, In thinking, your own thinking. Head, you're yeah. focusing on, yeah. and I think you know, me, your kids. When I, like when Irene first passed away, how I dealt with it was being very um, productive. Mm. And so I like structure in my life and I like routine. I like to know where I'm going. And and particularly because of those tsunamis of emotion we were discussing, mm. you don't know when that's going to hit. And you don't know what the next thing is around the corner. That for me, it was all about, you know, um, putting the structures in place around. Um, Oscar was starting school less than a month after Irene died. She was, he was starting primary school. And Noah had never been in creche before. And I kind of had said to myself, I'll take a month, two months max off work, but I want to get 
living is, again. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, so I kind of structured myself that in a month. I kind of gave myself, look, we'll get Oscar into school, didn't want to miss mm. him the first day, get Noah ready for crash time it all together, and I'll face the world again, mm. go back to work. So it was kind of that structure that kind of you try and um, move forward mm-hmm. with it, you know. But uh, always go according to plan. It never <laughs> you know? does. Yeah. It never does. But like, it's amazing how over time, and you're asking like, where are you with acceptance? You know, like I remember a friend of mine, uh, Kev, going to me, look, I'm not going to drag you out to the pub or drag you out of the house. Mm. But listen, my phone is on. Whenever you're ready to leave and do something, just give me a shout. And I remember the first time I went out was the end of September, two months after Irene passed away and just to the pub. And I just went out with just a couple of friends and I'd never been so scared mm. and nervous mm. in my life. Mm. It was like I'm re-entering the world yeah. now as this widower. And it really felt that I had this sign over my head, even though I knew no one in the pub, mm. but I felt everybody knew. Mm. And it was just absolutely nerve wracking. And I remember those weeks after Irene passed away, even going down to the shop with the boys. You know, I was like, we're nearly like ninjas sneaking mm. into the shop, grabbing our stuff, getting back out in, yeah, in yeah. case, God forbid, someone did the Stop worst thing ever yeah. and stopped them or made eye contact, mm. you know, because mm. it was just so... Um, mm. But that identity change, I mean, that's not something people talk about a lot. So when someone dies, you're maybe you're no longer a husband or you're no longer no. a daughter, yeah. or you're no longer a parent or, you know, and, and like that shift is monumental. Mm. And it shouldn't be underestimated. Me. I no, mean, because like, you, we have, we talked about with Mikey Graham about those levels of identity and like those layers, yeah, and they're and so and important to us. Yeah. And when you lose them overnight, mm. you have to adjust. It was, and it was the. I think it was probably one of the most difficult things for me was adjusting to that identity change because, mm. like I said, you were, you're re-entering the world, but you're renting the world with no guidance. You're doing it on your own, you know, and it's you're kind of blindfolded in what you're doing, and it. I really didn't start to manage it properly until I stopped caring what other people thought about me. Mm. Do you know? Because mm. every time I was going, it's like, oh, they're looking at me now. I wonder, do they know? Oh, what mm. are they? Are? Oh, I look, look, they have a little bit mm. of pity in their eyes. I want, I, do you know, I don't want, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's all of these sort of things. And then eventually it kind of came to a point after a few months where I was just like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. And it's but only you don't the energy. It's the energy, you know, yeah. It's just like, oh, but it wasn't until that point. The tolerance. Were, <laughs> the t- I think it was more the tolerance. Yeah. You just don't care anymore. But it wasn't until I reached that point that I was actually you kind of accept who you are mm. and you start to move forward. And then with the scandal broke, you're right, you have a new identity again. Mm. But this time round, it was different because this was on my terms and nobody else's, you know. So mm. you're kind of re-entering mm. the world and you're saying, people, this is what I want you to see me as this time round, not opposed to when Irene passed away and that was a bit mm. out of my control. Thank you so much. Well, it was yeah. wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 